Hello! Hello, audience. Welcome to a very, very special session. Because even though you love Falsetto Prophet, and I mean love with a passionate intensity, sometimes Mr. Prophet is not enough. Sometimes he needs a little help. He needs a little bit of a buddy. And today, my buddy is Wham Bam Mother F Stars Cam. Welcome to our first Kimohawk Podience Sessions. I am more excited than a famished cat at a Seattle fish market. And, in keeping with bluntness, I am also nervous. More nervous than a long-tailed cat in a room full of rocking chairs. Woo! Woo! Slap it to a Slim Jim, Nature Boy, Ric Flair, woo! Alright, I know I dropped that last episode, but it was just too good to pass up. I am psyching myself up, like in that thriller crime film 15 Minutes with Robert De Niro, when he dunks his head in a sink full of ice water to remain alert and ready for the law enforcement hunt. Granted, he was hung over as a mofo, but wow. Let's give a bro howl to Wham Bam. Ow! Ow, ow, ow! Wham Bam, give us a howl, would you please? There you go. Now, as Wham Bam Cam is a dear friend, it's only fitting that I drop a few quotes on friendship. Quote number one. The capacity for friendship is God's way of apologizing for our families. J. McIerney. Quote number two. Anybody can sympathize with the sufferings of a friend, but it requires a very fine nature to sympathize with a friend's success. Oscar F. Stars Wild. Friendship. I appreciate your friendship, man. That's why I have you on for this very special session. Chapter 19, White Collar, Black Belt, Juice Stain to Bruce Wayne. And for you, audience, if you do not know who Bruce Wayne is, you probably should not be listening. Leaving Rough Wailing for Smooth Sailing. Kimohawk Podience Sessions with Wham Bam Cam. Now let me explain the title for a minute. My buddy Wham Cam was working for a company. For purposes of this episode, we will just call it the Habitual Offender. For anonymity, we have respect in these parts. And he was working for the Habitual Offender that treated him like doggy do. That's why we start with Juice Stain. Because he was a Juice Stain. No matter how hard he worked, no matter how well he labored, he was still a Juice Stain. Until he became Bruce Wayne. In this episode, you will learn of that transformation to successive mogul millionaire Bruce Wayne, the bad A-stars that he is, and how he got there. So there you go, Juice Stain Bruce Wayne. Plus, we're huge DC fans, and we're huge Batman fans, so it fits for another reason. Speaking of friendship, I know Ben F-Stars Franklin told those who would listen that our critics are our friends because they show us our faults. Well, my buddy Whamcam has done just that. He has given me detailed feedback on these chemo ox sessions, the good, the bad, and the fugly. And I very much appreciate him for doing so. Because without him telling me, I don't know. Truth, as you say, as you like to say, truth is important. You allow these sessions to exist, wham bam, through your attentive listening, through your responses and recommendations for improvement. You complete me in the straightest, but also strangest of ways. Don't you think I don't understand? I mean, what can anyone of us ever really effing hope for, huh? Except for a moment here and there with a person who doesn't want to rob, steal, or murder us. At night, it may happen. Sun up, one person against the F-stars in wall, the other may hop on the F-stars in bed trusting each other enough to tell half the F-stars truth. Everybody needs that, becomes precious to them. They don't want to see it F-stars with. That's Alice Waringen from Deadwood. More great advice. Wham Bam, why don't you tell us how happy you are to be here today? Yeah, this is pretty exciting for me. I've uh, been listening to lots of podcasts the last few years, as you know. Um, and when you launched yours and let me know that you were doing one about white collar survival, 
um, as I've as I've entered this new world the past couple of years, I had to hop on the train pretty pretty dang quick. I'm very honored to be your first guest on this podcast. Uh, excited to see uh, where where the rest of this will take us going forward. Well, delighted to have you, man. I can't tell you how much more easy and reconcilable it is to have you in person so that we can talk eye to eye and actually discuss these happenings. Trying to do it through the virtual is very problematic. But worry not, because we will have you on for additional episodes through the virtual medium. I just got to get off my lazy buttocks and figure that out. Now, audience, it's going to be me and him talking, you listening. We're going to form this very pleasant little triangle here. I hope you're having a supermassive supernova, not black hole day. Wham Bam Cam is here. We do not wish you a black hole, but instead an exploding F-star. See what I did there? F-star. The one time I was able to blend F-stars with an actual effing star. This is an auspicious beginning, my good man. I appreciate your support, both WhamCam and you, Podience, although WhamCam is a member of the Podience, so what exactly do I do with that? How do I reconcile that? I don't know. I don't care. Time and attentive auditory attention to my podcast. There were times where I almost talked myself out of doing this at all, but then I kept coming back to the same altruistic concern. What if it helps? How can I best turn my rage and mistreatment at my old company to something worthwhile? So Wham Bam, do you understand when I talk about rage? Do you know this feeling well at a former company? Oh, 100%. My, uh, my last company, uh, as we're referring to as the habitual offender, there was constant and daily rage, uh, specifically near the end years. Um, definitely understand the anger and aggression that you yourself have referenced uh, from your past company. Definitely a connection there. Uh, excited to go a little, little deeper into some of those stories. Maybe, maybe we'll touch a few people. So when you think about it, you're getting paid for X amount of time at work. So even if you're furious, but you're on the clock, you could possibly justify that anger. Like, well, I'm getting paid to be angry. I'm getting paid to be frustrated. But let me ask, would that rage, would that frustration carry on even after you clocked out? Oh, 100%. You, you wonder if what you accomplished that day had even meant anything. Um, sure. Maybe there was a specific instance. Uh, my last company was, was very in the customer service, customer centric, uh, much like your own. Did you, did you react? the correct way to a customer? Could you de-escalate a heightened issue uh, correctly? Um, did they say something that maybe set you off? Oh yeah, those are, those are those things that could keep you laying awake at night uh, that, that maybe a, a concoction of an adult beverage wasn't enough to, to quell. Maybe you had to supplement that beverage with a little Valium. Oh, definitely. <laughs> but, when you, but when you think about it, it's like if you're getting paid for X, Y, and Z, but you're having to participate after hours in P, Q, and R, how is that different than robbery? The company is not paying you for this grief, but still this grief you are experiencing. To me, I look at that as being fleeced or being robbed because you're being deprived of that time that you could be using on something more productive. Oh, absolutely. There's there's times that I wish I could go back and smack younger me uh, during those times. I'd allow myself to worry about the next day or the next week or, or what was going on. And I'd allow that to maybe get in the way of personal plans, um, you know, friends and family that maybe wanted to see or spend time with me. But because I'm sitting here worried about what the next day is going to bring at this company that I'm working for, that's like all the job is making me think back to it. I mean, that's so much wasted time, right? And time you'll never get back. Yep. I had alluded to in a prior episode how time is non-renewable, just like oil. You only have a finite amount of it and you can't get that time back. Whereas money, okay, we didn't pay you enough today, but we can make up for it tomorrow and give you a little extra. Well, how do I get more time? How do you, how do you play with the Sandman and give me more time for my life? So to me, that time is extremely valuable, and the company should recognize that. Your time matters, both on and off the clock. So for you, audience, talking about rage, talking about feeling mistreated, 
As many times as I almost talked myself out of doing this podcast, I finally decided if even one Mother F stars or benefits, laughs, or gets something out of my show, then it was not a waste of time. I find that if I approach each episode with something to say, even if it is just one or two points, that helps steer the presentation. Your own company, your former company, Wham Bam, they may not have clearly been able to tell you what the mission was or what success looks like, but right here and now, after getting your feedback, after getting some other audience members' feedback, I remain clear that my mission and what success looks like for me is that people both laugh, if they feel like they can unwind their daily grind from listening to me, and if they can take away a few points that actually cause them to reflect on their current place and where they may want to travel to or aspire to. That is what success looks like for me. But at your former company, did you feel that the mission was often muddled? That walking away from the day, you don't even know if you made things better or far worse? Absolutely. There, there were days and weeks where you're wondering if the end goal even justified the means that you used that day or week to get there. In, in that company, and much like other, other companies, you know, random things can happen throughout your day, your shift that completely throws off the trajectory of your plans. Um, and you, you wonder by having to adapt to those circumstances, did you even meet the mission that your company wanted for the day? Right. right? Or were you just running around putting out fires? Right. Can you think of one example, the straw that broke the proverbial camel's back that pushed you in the direction of departure and finding a whole new career path for yourself? What was that catalyst moment that just drove you to F this, I'm outie? Oh, yeah. So, and, and you're familiar with the story. So, at my old company, I uh, spent over a decade there, uh, much like you have a lot of experience in, in my prior role, and had moved around lots of departments um, and, and helped them launch this brand new, beautiful thing that was adapted from another region, working really hard for them, lots of, lots of hours on end. Uh, and once this was all set up and, and finalized, kind of got a department of my own to, to call home after helping all these countless other other locations set up. What broke the camel's back is with all of that trust that they had instilled upon me for about a year, year and a half of doing all of that, in my own location, on my own, no longer working in a, in a regional format, you know, you make one little mistake. Um, and, and mine was, and by far, I, w- I will own it, uh, said, a, said a stupid thing in, in front of my employees uh, that, that probably should not have been said, but you were around people you thought you trusted. And that ends up getting reported and taken up the chain. And that's not the issue. Good on them for doing that. They did exactly what they ethically thought was correct, right? I, I challenge anybody out there, if you think that your supervisor uh, or, or manager is not acting how they should be in a public forum, I absolutely call them out on it. Maybe give them the chance first, uh, if, you, if you feel you can trust them. But what, what irked me was getting called directly into my direct supervisor's office with not one additional, but two additional other supervisors. Uh, it almost felt like a setup. Uh, you're walking into an attack. So I was immediately on the defensive, and they, they began to, to question me about the, the circumstance. Uh, and I immediately own it. Immediately own it. Absolutely, I said those things. I uh, should not have. But then it wasn't even about, well, why did you, or what was going on in your day, or anything like that. It was slapped with an immediate suspension, which sucked. There was no uh, opportunity for me to try to defend myself um, or get anybody else involved to try to assist me. So I, I sat for a, a, about a week in a, in a suspension format, kind of going over multiple thoughts and plans and future what can I do if I if I get to go back? Spoke with my dad, who was a pretty light star uh, during that time. Uh, my dad worked uh, for the same company, just in a different region. So it was nice to get his input. And then also, that was my dad. My, my dad gave me a lot of good advice uh, growing up. So I wanted to bounce those thoughts and ideas off of him. And, and for me, I, I'd followed into that company because he worked for them. During those conversations I had with him, he went, well, if what your mission and what you do and what you want to bring to your company's table is no longer aligning, then why are you there? 
And that was kind of eye-opening for me because for me, I'd always been chasing wanting to be like my dad. And for me, that was doing the exact same job as him. But if it wasn't making me happy and he recognized that, I just didn't. But when he said that to me, it was, it was eye-opening. It was like, why, why am I here, right? So when I got back to my company, uh, was, was allowed to, to come back at my position, which was great. Um, kind of got a slap on the wrist. Uh, they had kind of looked at my time and time with the company and I've had no prior other incidents. So it was kind of like an HR slap. Like, don't do it again. Okay, cool. I won't do it again. But I kind of wised up to how the game was being played at that point. I was maturing into my, into my own ways. A few other small instances would happen, but I wasn't also afraid to call out my own supervisors uh, for, for things that I may not have seen right. And at one moment when I really needed help, I went to my regional director uh, for, for some advice on how to handle my immediate supervisor uh, at my brick and mortar level location. And the answer was, I can't really help you. Uh, this particular individual has been in the role for 40 plus years. I can't do anything to help you. You just kind of have to do what they say. And, and that was the moment that I went, well, I have also spent a large amount of my life here, hours upon hours each week, um, diverting from friends and family to, to build something from nothing. And that's the answer I'm going to get. No help. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Like how a customer feels when they feel they've been slighted. Absolutely. They get pretty acrimonious, don't they? Absolutely. That, that between, between the suspension, my eyes being opened with my dad, like telling me, then why are you here? Find something you like to do. And then knowing that I'm getting zero help now from my skip level. I knew that was the time. Roughly how many years had you been with that particular enterprise when you had that illuminating moment? Ten. Ten years. Ten years. That's creepy and the coincidental nature because I work for my former company, the Compounds, the David Koresh Waco era compound. So my buddy Wham Cam, he hails from an area, as you know, that's near Waco, but not Waco. He doesn't want to claim Waco, (laughs) which I can't blame him. But I can tell you that I had been with my company 11 years when I officially quit. It was about that 10th year as well. When I'd come back from the chemo and the cancer and the near-death experience, blah, 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 you've heard it all. When I came back, it was just talking to these flesh-and-blood human beings, you realized how animatronic and cyborg Terminator-style they were. No feelings, no emotion, no care. Now, I'm not some little simpy baby. I don't demand compassion. But I know that these companies, they claim that they have compassion, that they care about their customers, they care about their family of workers. But it sounds like you had an experience where your eyes were open and you realized, I'm a puppet. And I'm being treated like a puppet from these evil doer, evil empire puppeteers. Yeah, absolutely. It was it was that manipulation that I think I finally saw through. Sweet. I I had poured through so much of my own personal time to help move this company in directions it wanted to go to, but received zero investment return. It makes me think of that great gangster film, A Bronx Tale, where you've got Robert De Niro's kid and he's growing up in Hell's Kitchen or Queens or somewhere, some tough neighborhood, and the local gangster is giving him advice, which is against his father's wishes, because his father's just an honest working man, and the gangster, Chaz Palmitary, is a gangster. But there's a moment where he let one of his buddies borrow 20 bucks, and the buddy refuses to pay him back. And then when he runs into his friend in the street, the guy's always ducking him and running the other way, and he starts getting furious. Like, I'm going to chase that guy, and I'm going to pound his head in. But Chaz Palmitary says, hey, look, you learned a life lesson for cheap. 20 bucks, you've learned never to trust him again, never to let him borrow money again. It only took us 10 years. Yeah. We paid, we paid 10 years of our lives, one decade to learn what we need and what we don't need and what we will tolerate at a white collar company. That's, if we choose to look at it that way, 10 years is 10 years. It's like being in jail for 10 years. You're still young when you get out. Okay, great. So I appreciate that information. To personalize it a bit, I was there. Wham Bam and I were having a dinner when he told me, when he was going through this debacle of, well, you're on suspension. How dare you offend someone's sensibilities? So he was put on a paid leave, right? It was a paid leave. I reminded him of a story when I was working at old Starbucks a lifetime ago, 
and we had this little rabble rouser punk that came in and he wanted to cause all sorts of problems, set all these fires. Well, before rabble rouser comes in, I had this buddy and he and I would always quote Arnold Schwarzenegger movies to get through the day because sometimes we would work doubles and triple shifts. So every once in a while, we'd toss an Arnold Schwarzenegger line at each other with the Austrian accent like, get to the chopper or I'll kill you, I'll kill you. Well, new guy comes in and we would continue on with our Schwarzenegger quotes. And at some point, he heard us say, I'll kill you, clearly in an Austrian accent. He decided to go through the back door, get HR involved. Now I'm getting called in on paid leave by HR for a complaint about a death threat. Tell HR with a straight face, well, I was quoting an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, you know, I'll kill you. So they end up calling to do their thorough investigation. They call my coworker buddy. Do you sometimes have quote-offs from Arnold Schwarzenegger movies with Mr. Prophet? Yes, yes I do. We quote Predator, we quote Terminator 2. I don't think HR knew what to do, but the complaint went away. It disappeared <laughs> like sand on a warm beach. It made him feel better. It was a fun story to recount. But I know that he was suffering. So I just wanted to think of anything ridiculous that I could say, truthful as it may be, to comfort my buddy Wham Cam. And now he works for a company. We'll just call it Umbrella Corp if for you Resident Evil fans. But he works for a massive international conglomerate. And he is happy. Absolutely. And you believe that you made the right decision in retrospect leaving? I wish I'd left sooner. Oh. <laughs> so you made a good call. You, you showed the courage to leave a place that you were, the bills were getting paid. You had some stock options, maybe. You were comfortable and you knew your job, but you still had the courage to leave. Absolutely. Sweet. I hope to have that courage one day, dear audience, because I quit my company, I quit my habitual offender, and I haven't had the courage to find Umbrella Corporation yet. Instead, I did the easy thing and I started this podcast. <laughs> so I think through my courage for my companion Wham Bam here that I will have the courage to find my happy place. We will segue into the concept of villains. Wham Bam and I are both huge aficionados of Batman, cartoons, comics, graphic novels, Basically a fantasy world that often sometimes mirrors our own. And we like a good villain. I believe he is a huge fan of, for example, a character named Darth Bane oh, yeah. from the Star Wars oh, yeah. franchise. Oh, yeah. And he also loves characters like Deathstroke. And he loves, well, we both love a character named Raj or Raish Al Ghul from the Batman series. At least with the cartoon, graphic novel, animated film, real film adventures, the villain is brilliant. They're likable, they have personality, there is a calculable method to their mania. But these villains that we face every day at our white-collar jobs, they're not likable. They're not even brilliant. They just got in there because they knew somebody who knew somebody, or they screwed somebody who's screwing somebody, or something. Oftentimes, your manager or your overseers did not get there because of merit, and they are not particularly colorful or likable. They're just there. They're just an obstruction that you have to endure. I know that Wham Bam had those, and I've had them too. Sadly, at our respective former companies, the villains were rife, and they were repulsive and sometimes retarded, and their fool's errands and inane explanations forced that errands. I wish they were a proper foil, like my man Raish or Raz Al Ghul. At least then they would secure my F-Star's respect. The reason I picked Raj or Raish Al Ghul to give you a few quotes is because his name is so impossible to pronounce correctly. You know the tomato-tomato pronunciation of Mr. Ghul's name reminds me of? Workplace inconsistencies. <laughs> Inconsistent, erratic, and always, always fluctuating. It is enough to have a sane, lucid person committed to an insane asylum. So tell me, Wham Bam, before I proceed with these quotes, did you often feel that while you are a master of the English language, that your former company, the habitual offender, did you often feel that they were speaking in a foreign language when they were giving you instructions or nonsensical advice? 
Absolutely. It was almost like a game. Like, how could they get me to do the job that they knew the end result for without telling me how to get there? That's like solving a puzzle upside down. Absolutely. And backwards. Wow. <laughs> now, I would be the first to say that you obviously have skills and you obviously have insight and business acumen. Don't you think that that is not very efficient? That's, that's not a very good use of their time. If they could just clearly tell you, like the Ten Commandments, for example, don't do this, do this. Wouldn't that simplify things? Absolutely, it would have. And, and, and I wished I could have learned that lesson sooner. Hey, maybe I take some rentership on my own part where I could have asked a few more questions, but I could tell you a hundred stories of times where I completed said task with the parameters laid before me, and then the supervisor would come behind and say, you know, that's crap. Let's do it all over again from scratch, and then not deliver any additional information and leave it up to my imagination on how it should be. Wow. When I think about that, it triggers a fairly recent episode where I talked about the difference between constructive criticism and mm. deconstructive criticism. It's like when people tell you at these meetings, managers love to say this, and you're a manager, so you know, bring solutions. You can mention an issue or a problem, but have one problem and say six proposed solutions. Don't come with six problems and no solutions, because all that is is a bitch fest, right? Absolutely. You're just bitching. With that, you think about it a little bit further, and it's like, they tell you that what you did or your approach was crap. Let's start all over again. Thomas Edison may have said there's a thousand ways to learn how not to make a light bulb, but who has the time to do it a thousand ways until you get it right? Oh, right. Absolutely. <laughs> I just cannot believe that I was working for a company and I was livid and miserable, and you were working for a completely different company, but feeling the exact same feelings I was feeling, of different, differing degrees of intensity. That's outstanding. Speaking of Rajah Ghul, I'll give you a couple quotes because I don't want to leave you hanging, dangling like a hanging chad in Florida. Rachel Ghul. Well, well, this is Liam Neeson talking to Christian Bale as Batman in Batman Begins. Well, well, you took my advice about theatricality a bit literally. <laughs> he was great. Another, this is from one of his original source material, comic, graphic novel, who knows? You continue to exist at my sufferance. That's Ra's al Ghul to Batman. And since we're talking about Batman so much, I'll hit you with another quote. This is Batman on his advice on vigilantism. If you kill a killer... The number of killers in the room remains the same. Bam Bam, why do they have to alter his voice so much? He's already a cloaked <laughs> madman with ninja skills. Why do they have to make him sound so freaking terrifying? I, I don't know, man. It, it goes all the way back to Michael Keaton. I mean, he would change the voice a little bit. Um, Christian Bale, uh, always always comedic when you find, uh, you know, little short vids or, or TikToks of people doing doing his voice in that. Where is she? Uh, He's Ghostface <laughs> from Scream with a Ghostface voice alter box. Absolutely. No idea. Um... You know, Kevin Conroy will always always be my favorite. Um, Kevin, okay, so just so you, so you know, audience, I am talking to someone who's not only an expert in white-collar career matters, but he is an expert on all things Dark Knight. And this guy, as much as he loves Kevin Conroy as the, for example, Kevin Conroy does the voice for Batman the Animated Series, right. one of the greatest animated series ever. But conversely, Mark Hamill, a.k.a. Luke in Star Wars, is the voice of Joker. And when those two come together, so it is... Vocal magic. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So as you know, audience, I had kind of a predetermined Q&A session, but we're having so much F-Stars fun drinking our makeshift rum old fashions, which is some type of dark rum and an orange. I'm starting to feel a little crazy. I think we're just going to kind of go with the flow, maybe read a question or two and just see where the uh, mic takes us. But I'll give you a little preface again. Wham Bam F-Stars Cam. Among our audience, there are mammals like me and him. We found ourselves, or possibly you currently find yourself, to be absolutely miserable at your current post. As we have talked about on a prior episode, 
noose, knot, or ripcord. That was my clever way of saying, you have decisions to make. You have to decide like Wham Bam Cam did and like I had to make. We're not just saying this as like a mental health check. We were there where you may be right now and we had decisions to make. For me, it was to save my life. I think my blood pressure was going to skyrocket and I was going to die for real if I stayed where I was. And I think Wham Bam had a similar thought process. But not the least of which of all the decisions you're going to have to make is deciding, should I stay or should I go? I don't like to sing because I have a terrible singing voice, but I sing for you, audience. Hey, Wham Bam, do you remember when I did that Vanilla Ice skit? Wasn't that absolutely ridiculous? What the F-stars was I thinking? That was almost as big of a mistake as when I stayed for another five years at my company than I should have. But at least it's funny. So in fine fashion, you left your company, Wham Bam, with glee that, okay, so in the fantastic visual of John Constantine in the 2000 film Constantine, you left the hellish landscape of your former employer. You had the courage, grit, and foresight to leave. Okay, I already asked. I asked what the final straw was, and you explained, and you cut the workplace rope, you ripped the ripcord, and you left. And you're all the better for it. So fantastic for you. As as uh, Ron Swanson, your spirit animal, likes to say, bully for you. Bully for you. And belay that order. Lagavula neat. You know, dear audience, there's many things that I am jealous. I'm not afraid to say jealous or envious of. I am Kevin Spacey in Seven. I am envious of some things about Whamcam. For example... Wham Bam has a good, tight-knit relationship with his blood sister. They are tight. I don't know if she's listening to this podcast or not, but if she ever does, that she will get a chuckle out of this. But they are very close, and I wish that I had that type of relationship with my two very estranged sisters. We were oil and water. Wham Bam and his sister, you'd almost think they were together, if not for the fact that they're brother and sister, they're so close. How is that? How is that having a really good healthy friendship with your sister? Because I've always wondered, because I've never had that myself. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll preface that with, um, and just so everybody knows, it wasn't always that way. Um, sure. growing, growing up, uh, my sister and I are nine years apart. I am, I am the elder. It, it was not always that way. A little bit of a perceived mistreatment uh, in, as me growing up and thinking things were unfair. But uh, my, my sister uh, came into my parents' and mine's life at a, at a very opportune and needed time for them. Uh, and, and as we grew up, we weren't always, in my perception, created equally. Uh, but as I grew up, uh, as we both grew up uh, and learned our life lessons along the way, I, I think that was something that we both knew we needed. Uh, it, it connected us uh, where she was able to bring hope to my parents. And I was finally able to kind of perceive that through their eyes. But man, I tell you, it's, it's really nice to have uh, that one family member that you know you can gripe about whatever you want to to uh they can do the same thing um or just talk about the bullcrap that's going on in her own life or your own life and man I, I tell you she she works in the medical field we'll keep it as generic as that right now uh, but the stuff that she sees man and when i have conversations with her about like what my day was like and then you hear about a story that she tells in her field really can bring some things into perspective and just to make it simple and still generic, she spent quite a bit of time, for example, like in something of the equivalent of trauma units. Absolutely. Yeah. So she's seen the worst of the worst in yep. humankind. Yep. See, here I am complaining and whining about, oh, my white collar job. Oh, the water wasn't sparkling. It was just tap. <laughs> and she's over here looking at gunshot wounds to the face. That's right. See? We're, we're worried about our pH balance in our water, right? <laughs> <laughs> she's worried about, do they have enough liters of blood? That's right. See, it's, it's just one of those things where... Similarly, so you are able to learn through your sister's stories, through osmosis. You're learning, you're able to learn from her observations without having to experience them firsthand. She's sparing you the trauma, but still giving you the knowledge. That's exactly what I'm trying to do here. 
I'm trying to get you, audience, to listen to these stories where I effed up, where I stayed too long. Bring on guests so you know I'm not just talking to myself. And we all learn collectively what to do and what to not do. If you go way back to Are You Afraid of the Dark, there was an episode about a clown called Tale of Laughing in the Dark, where if you pick the right door, you go free. You pick the wrong door, and there Zebo the Creepy Clown will be. I'm trying to steer you to the right door so that you can escape unscathed. I hope I'm successful. Wham Bam, for example, I've been doing this show for a while now. We're now on episode or chapter 19. Can you give me an example of something where, whether it was just a funny story, a nugget, or just some statistics that I dropped, can you give me an example of something that I've shared just for our audience so they know about the impact that my paltry but true words may have had on your outlook or any benefit that they provided you? Absolutely. There, there's quite a few, and we, we've discussed, and I'm sure we'll, we can bring them up in many future episodes, I, I can see. But the, the one of the first huge hitting ones, your, your audience may know of, of this podcaster, uh, but uh, Jocko Wilnick, ex-Navy SEAL, has a, has a podcast, been a pretty avid listener of him for, for many, many years. Um, look up to him in a lot of different ways for leadership material. But if anybody knows of him, his, his book that kind of hit the market and made him famous was called Extreme Ownership, How Navy SEALs Lead and Win. Uh, his co-author was Leif uh, Babin. Uh, they were both Navy SEALs uh, during Afghanistan and Iraq. But that book is about taking ownership and, and, and especially as a leader, like how does, how does that look? Well, in one of your very early episodes, you talked about the difference between ownership and rentership. It was and a buzzsaw, buzzsaw term, term that I used against the company. Absolutely. But the way I interpreted that was, well, why should I take full ownership? I'm very about taking the ownership, especially in, in, in my in my new uh, career with Umbrella. Like I, <laughs> that's gonna be funny Resident Evil, time. Albert. That's gonna be funny every time. But with my new with my new company, I, I'm very much about taking the ownership. If a project is going to fail, it was not one of my subordinates. It was me, right? I, I have direct. But if I'm working concurrently with other teams, right, in, in a lateral project, well, then I don't need to take ownership for the entire project if it's failing or succeeding, right? My my individual piece is what I need to rent of that whole total project. Uh, and, and that is that is one of the things that's really hit home for me because, I mean, if, you, if any of you have read Extreme Ownership or hear anything about what, what Jocko says, it, it can be pretty hardcore. Uh, it's, it's very black and white. Um, but hearing that from you made me shift my thinking a little bit, uh, which which probably won't change until, I don't know, a new slice of bread comes around. I will have you know that much like the Knights Templar, I have rounded up all of the other podcasters and slaughtered them. So I believe I am the sole remaining voice of reason. Excellent. (laughs) So a couple thoughts come to mind. The first is that, okay, think about it. So my boy Lambro, he likes sports. He loves them. He loves them more than his own wife, possibly. But my boy Lambro, if you were a kicker of a football team, or if let's say in a bigger sense, you worked on a movie production, which can have 2000 cast members or people that were somehow integrally involved in the production of the film. If the film is a flop or if you lose the game, but you were one of many, how could you possibly walk away feeling that you were at fault? When there's so much time in a game, so many plays, so many things that could have gone left or right, it all came down to a ref call or something. I don't feel that that's an appropriate burden to carry if you make a mistake at work when you're part of a huge crew or so your company calls you a family. Thinking about that a little further, now remember, there's two ways you can be successful in life. You can invent something new or you can further perfect something that already exists. I say, why not do both? I crafted these chemo hawk sessions out of nothing. Why can't I also improve my own work? So when you tell me about the idea of rentership, I think we can, I think I could have done better. I could have taken a step further and say, why don't we call it proportionate ownership? Mm. It sounds a little more buzzy, which I hate buzzsaw. I hate it. (laughs) 
But to be accurate, and accuracy is important, maybe we call it proportionate ownership going forward. Where you say, hey, boss man, or boss woman, or boss plant, whatever the situation, I will take proportionate ownership of that. Because as you've said, we're a family. We're all in this together. We sink or sail together. I'll take a portion of it. I'll take the appropriate concomitant percentage that I'm responsible for. You may get fired. If it was my former company, they just let you go because they don't have time to deal with SaaS. But (laughs) that doesn't make what you're saying any less accurate. Proportionate ownership. Something to think about, audience. As far as the question for you, as far as your new post at Umbrella, is it like a night and day difference, like Serbia and Albania, Texas A&M and the UT Longhorns? Or is the difference less extreme? In other words, you've been here long enough at Umbrella. Do you see that there are similarities between this company and your former company, but maybe it just comes down to how you feel like you're treated? I just want to know how different it is or how different you feel at this new position. Absolutely. I I think this comes down to one of your other prior episodes, um, knowing what your company's mission is. Uh, And for those quick-eared listeners, might be able to puzzle piece this together, uh, but Falsetto, you even mentioned my company's mission statement in that episode. I Uh, sure did. I was hoping you'd pick (laughs) up on that. And and it's very simple and easy for all to digest and, and understand. I think that's a lot of what it is, is I go in every day knowing exactly what the overarching company, as large as Umbrella is, I know what the mission statement is. I know what they are intending to do at the end of the day. Part two of that is absolutely the way that I'm treated. I, you know, we, we discussed, you know, in, in some conversations before this, this podcast uh, about imposter syndrome. Uh, and I definitely felt that in my first couple of years with this company. I, I went from this, this company of hard manual labor, extreme customer service to not. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in a white collar role. Uh, and so I was like, man, do I even belong here? Uh, but peers and supervisors that I worked with, like one of the best things that one of them ever told me was, well, don't feel like you don't belong. You're here because of your past experiences. You have value to bring to these conversations. That's why you're here. Right. So just hearing little things like that are like, okay, all right. I, I'm making some sort of an impact. Like you're saying to the audience here, if one of you take something away from this, then we've done our job. Right. Right. And then lastly, it's non-customer service. I'll just be very blunt. Uh, my role is uh, I do not deal directly with customers. I am not on the front line anymore. Uh, I, I have a customer-centric mindset because of that decade of experience. Um, and I'm, I think that helps apply what I do uh, at a service level to my peers uh, in my company. But I'm not getting blasted by the Karens and Kyles of the world in, in a front line anymore, which can help your mental fortitude uh, at the end of each day as well. I tried at my former white collar company, I had a conversation with a guy who was like the wizard of the buzzsaw word. If there was someone working at a factory that created the buzzsaw word, he's right there manning the assembly line. And this guy was smooth. I think he used to be a preacher before he worked in insurance, but he was a bull S starzer. Everything he said was oily like a snake. He was a snake charmer. And I went to that guy one day and I was trying to be real with him. I was trying to have a moment. And I said, you know, I'm out here driving from homes that are $1.5 million in value to homes that are insured for $35,000. It's a shack. And I'm talking to these people and I'm talking to these contractors when I was working claims. And I said to him, you know, I'm talking to these customers who are not insurance savvy. All they want to do is complain. And I'm not learning anything. I'm not growing as an individual. I'm not getting smarter. I'm not getting wiser. I'm just telling them the same insurance jargon and they're just getting mad at me. So because of that, I'm getting tired of this position because I'm not growing. I thought he'd be like, yeah, I know how that is. Nope, not Mr. Snake Charmer. Mr. Snake Charmer said, but you are learning because you're having to adapt to new audiences and you're having to talk in their language. <laughs> and I said, I'm dumbing myself down. 
I'm using more contraction words and I'm speaking poor English because they don't care to know. They just want the situation resolved. Well, we agreed to disagree. But what I, what I really learned as I walked away from that was he's a company man and I am not. And you have to figure out what you are and what you're not. Night and day difference. Uh, my dad, he was married before and then he got married to a new woman and that is who turned out to be my mother. And I asked him what it was like with his first marriage because he doesn't talk about it very much. But he said, well, it was night and day. The first woman was a snake. She was a Gorgon and your mother is sweet. It was a night and day difference. And that's all he would tell me. I applied that to other things like, you know, night and day difference when you see it. My boy Wham Cam sounds like it's pretty close to night and day because if you have a clear mission, maybe you don't feel like you're wasting your time. You're running around in circles, but not in a cute way like when an animal chases its tail. You just feel tired, frustrated, and angry. My boy Wham Cam is also a gunman, right? You That's like right. you like the gun. That's right. You like the gun. That's right. I can tell you there's an expression in shooting, which is aim small, miss small. If you don't take on an impossible target, you might actually hit it. I think to apply this to kind of a buzzsaw white collar way, if you aim low, you'll hit low, but you'll probably hit your target. I think it's important to not set goals that are almost impossible or unattainable when you're starting out, because then you may feel that imposter syndrome. Now, I'm going to talk about imposter syndrome later. I'm actually going to have an episode or a chapter on it because I have my own personal feelings about that term, and I think it gets thrown around a lot. Not everybody knows what it means. But for purposes of this, yes, I think it's important to set easily attainable goals at first, like a checklist. It feels good when you make a checklist and you start scratching that shiz off, right? But if you had a checklist that was 400 deep and each one was harder than the other, how do you ever, how do you do it? How do you get through that? It's got to be impossible, right? Oh, it's just got to feel overwhelming. Overwhelming. And we don't like overwhelming. Overwhelming is what leads to stress. Stress leads to anger. Anger leads to rage. And rage leads to, I'm Yoda again, okay? But the fact is you want to avoid that mofo dark side. Okay, at your former company, at the Habitual Offender, you were tasked with taking over an entirely new department. You basically were on the cutting edge of forming a new department. In a nutshell, how did you deal with the stress and the ambiguous directions you received on how it would be managed? Man, that, that that was tough. But for me, at least I knew some sort of a direction. Make it work. Get it up. Luckily, our, our company had some of these new projects up and semi-running in a, in a different region of, of the state. Uh, so we were able to kind of see some examples. Um, it was uh, a little e-commerce set. Uh, we just had to understand how to translate it into a physical brick-and-mortar location. I see. Um, it was not easy. Uh, lots of uh, collaboration. Ooh, um, cold I know, I know. Uh, but you, we, we had to make sure that we had the right stakeholders involved. Um, missing, putting, putting a deadline back a week was like non-existent. Uh, we, we had to find ways to push through the stakeholders. Uh, if we had a, a lunch date deadline, you better meet it. So lots of hours. Um, that was definitely a time, like it was exciting work because uh, you're building something from nothing. But at the same time, God, I just wish they would have been a little bit more involved a little bit more direction of what they actually wanted to see. There's many times where a few of us would have to stay late and and work on some sort of a a product uh, to integrate into these launches that would make it a little more successful each and every time. At the end of the day, in each location that we launched was a fantastic feeling and a weight of stress. I'd say a piece of that stress would fall off, but especially in in the middle of all these launches, like you knew the next one was right around the corner. Uh, And you can only take so much from each location. This, This company that I worked for before... As much as it may sound odd to some of the audience out there, we didn't make cookie cutter locations. Uh, they were always 
conform to the demographic that was in the area uh, to kind of help with that particular retail establishment. It, it was each location had its own set of challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you could apply certain things like, for instance, our, our first days at most of these locations, we'd literally watch the concrete pour in, um, which was kind of cool. So let's let's just say I needed to set a certain standard on, okay, well, we need to be here at 7 a.m. to watch the concrete pour in, right? That's a very loosely based example. We learned that early on. We knew in subsequent launches of these, okay, now we know each time uh, that we need to be there. If we want to watch it pour in on time, let's get there at 6.30 instead right. of 7. Trial and error. Different things that you could try there. Again, we were building something from nothing. It had never really been done before. But those were thoughts and ways, processes we had to come up with organically within ourselves. We didn't really get any direction. Uh, so I keep circling that back, right? If the stakeholders expected so much and wanted these things in that timely fashion, then they themselves needed to be invested in this as well, which we never saw. Uh, it kind of kind of always came down to us. So how many direct reports did you have at the former company, roughly? Uh, at my last position, right, be- right before I ejecto cedoed, 40, 45. And how many now at your current company? Three. Interesting. And would you say that with those three, you wield a lot more power and you can get a lot more done than with even 40 people? Yes and no. With a larger direct report audience, you're, you're, you can get a lot done if they're all on the same mission. And, and, I, and I, I circle back to that a lot, too. Like, I tried to make sure that at least my direct reports understood what we were trying to accomplish. Were, were there a lot of process breaks or issues because we didn't have higher up uh, support? Absolutely. In my new company, with three, man, do we feel like we're underwater sometimes. And But at least when we ask for a flotation device, it comes. Ah. And, and I think that's... Giving the soldiers helps. the tools they need to be successful with their mission. Absolutely. Uh, and it's never perfect, right? Maybe the flotation device... Uh, they thrown out to you as semi-inflated, um, but it's better than nothing. Sure, um, you know, or, or you're given a piece of directional advice that can. Oh, I didn't think about this particular issue this way. That was that's what I needed. Thanks, and now I'm able to proceed. Right, and that was something at, at my last company that you just did not get. This will probably be easier to think of the first than the second. But I want you to think about a manager that you've had that was terrible and vile <laughs> and despicable, and then I want you to think about a manager that you had that was stand up and that you admired and respected. And what made you hate the first and really appreciate the second? Any example you can think of of why? Well, you're right. The first one is very easy. Uh, And no, it's not even the last one that I worked for uh, at my prior company. Uh, But with Habitual Offender, uh, I I had this direct manager. I was was not in this um, create something from nothing role. I was in a jack of all trades management role. I was an MM. Uh, I am an MM in my current role uh, with my new position as well. But for, for sake of, of the story, I was an MM at my at my old uh, company as well for a time and reported only to the direct, uh, the very top leader at this location. And man, oh man, he was a young buck straight out of college, not a lot of prior work experience, and thought he knew how to run everything from how the tile was supposed to be put on the floor to how we're supposed to sweep it. It was, it was intense, his way or the highway. It, it was rough. There was, there was no room for us to give input. And this wasn't just me. My own peers uh, throughout throughout the company felt the very same way. Uh, and when feedback was given uh, to this individual, it was like a shrug off. Uh, it was, well, I've been put in this position because of such and such, X, Y, and Z. Uh, and you will listen because that is my direction. We talk about not getting enough direction. This person would give too much direction. Sounds like boot on the throat. Absolutely. Uh, a lead and fear mentality, right? Uh, which which can and will only get you so far. We were talking about that earlier today oh. where I was reminding you of something I'd spoken about prior where I worked for a company that was fear-based. Your manager would manage you in a way that would suggest 
they were operating out of fear for themselves. There was a certain panic behind their motivations. And what I was telling you examples were when you lead from pyramid top-down fear-based approach, that works for a time. But whether it's Nazi Germany or the American Revolution, people get to a point where they say, this is unacceptable, we are going to revolt. And then there's a change, a violent change. So I don't think that the fear-based approach is the best approach. No, I, I agree with you there, especially having experienced it firsthand. Sure. Yeah. How do you juggle a healthy work-life balance? You know, that, that came from, I've, I've you know preluded to it a few times uh, in, in my prior company. Man, I would just give up personal time for, com- for my company, right? And, and get zero return of investment. And during the, the wonderful COVID extraordinaire that's happened the last couple of years, within that first year of all things, uh, I lost my own dad to cancer. And so, uh, and we, we've discussed this many times uh, back and forth from your own battle uh, and my dad, unfortunately losing his, but that was one of those eye-opening moments, especially as I was transitioning back then to my new company of Umbrella that I knew I couldn't do anymore. There was all this time and, and, and I wouldn't say regret of lost time with family or friends, but it was like, what have I been investing my time in and what was important to me? I think it was, I think those priorities were always there, but I think I fully realized them. That, that family and friends and time with them in my aspect was way more important than the time I was putting into a, a company or a job that's just helping pay bills, right? As I tried to adapt the strategy into my new company, and every company is going to tell you, we care about your work-home life balance. But mine is very clear, cut, and simple. I tell my direct supervisors that if you haven't gotten something to me by the time it's time to close the laptop, I'll see you tomorrow. I would say the cookie cutter approach is setting your own clear boundaries and expectations. Absolutely. Because what you're really doing, if you approach it from like a militaristic or sport metaphor, you're putting them on the defensive. Because if you've made it clear what you will and will not accept, if they're truly going to fight you on that, they're going to have to make that very vocal. That's right. And who's going to want to do that when you're... My dad always said, my dad was an attorney for many years, and he said, the person with the best argument should win because people will eventually listen to what's logical. So by setting those clear boundaries, you're putting them in a position where they'd have to get pretty offensive in order to combat that. Okay, so those were some pretty tough questions in the sense that they were very specific and they touched on very hot topics. But just to make things a little bit fun, you're a country town mouse. (laughs) You're from a teeny tiny crevice of life's remembrances or a town that time forgot. And I'm from a big city. I'm a big city mouse. How do you adjust moving from such a small town to such a big, massive metropolitan area where you have lived for many years now and have worked. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and my wife will even tell you, like when we first moved from country bumpkin USA uh, to to the big sprawling metropolis of, of Austin, uh, smack dab in the middle of, of Tejas, man, it was daunting to me. Uh, you know, uh, my put it in perspective for the audience here, my high school graduating class was like 40 people um, on average. Like it, it we was, had 40 in my high school. We had 40 people valeting parking. Your car. <laughs> it was probably my, it was probably my class. We wow. were probably doing it for you. No. And so for us to move, my wife wanted to go to school uh, at Texas state in San Marcos when, uh, right after we got married. So I, I kind of immediately San Marcos is no small town either to acclimate me. We would make those short trips or weekend trips into Austin or San Antonio and, and kind of get me used to it. I still hate, F stars traffic to this day, um, and I don't. If anybody out there likes traffic, you're you're a liar. Uh- <laughs> just just to be D stars ish, I will say, hey, if you are in traffic and you hate traffic, if you listen to Kimohawk sessions, that's right. That will help you unwind the gridlock grinds. Ooh, the gridlock grind. I like that. One. You never know. You I never like know when a new baby will be born, and they will be far prettier than previous babies. That's right. That's right. I but- was thinking, well, you've adapted. I mean, I until you told me that you were from a town. It, just to give you an idea of how small it is. 
I'm like, oh yeah, 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 Waco. I know Waco. I've heard of Waco mostly because of you know nefarious reasons. No, not Waco. It's it's actually a little off yeah, to the side, right down, down a few right valleys. Outside. It's like ah. Yeah. So I will say one thing though that Waco does have is they have some really pretty bridges if you're into like yep. civil engineering, and they have a disc golf course for you disc golfers out there. They have a paid for by the city of Waco disc golf course that runs right along the river, which I believe is the Brazos. Yep, Brazos River. And man, it's it's something else. Uh, disc golf is usually just an excuse for people to smoke weed, but disc golfing is can be fun. It's a good little recreational activity if you like to be outdoors. I don't like to hike because I have an aversion to bugs, but what are you going to do? I had asked Wham Bam previously to be thinking about a personal nugget if he has one. He doesn't have to, but I'm going to let him sort that out if he wants to think one up right here on the spot. Is there any... So treat this as like your last words, let's say. Let's say a helicopter was going to crash in Kobe, Kobe, Kobe beef style and takes us both out right now. What would your final words be of advice to anyone who may be listening for happiness and success in their workplace, happiness and success in their lives? Yeah, I, I, I want to tell your audience, like, first and foremost, Falsetto, so glad you did this. And, and I've told you this before. Like, Thanks, man. I want more views, hits, whatever this, these messages need to get out. Um, you know, we, we've talked of our own conversions. Like, we both left a company that was treating us like dirt, and we were getting nothing out of it, right? We both took different paths right after that. I was lucky enough to land into my umbrella, and, and you were still searching for yours, right? But I don't want anybody out there who's like, thinking of these things or they've resonated with these difficulties that me and you have had in, in our last companies. And just because it's paying the bills or it's safe that they think they have to stay there, have the courage, know that there's other folks out there who have gone through this and action something out of it. And yes, the unknown is absolutely scary, but you never know. You you may land in safe waters and be swimming just fine, right? So you were talking about the, and it's a fairly recent phrase. It's probably been around for a while, kind of like critical race theory, where it's been around a while, but we're only recently hearing about it. But with imposter syndrome, I would like to think of this as like a safety net strangulation, where you're staying safe and cozy in your safety net at work, but you're slowly being strangled, like by an anaconda. And you don't even realize it until possibly too late, where your hairs are gray, and you give up on the day, and you don't have any energy left. So I'd say avoid the safety net strangulation and pull the ripcord and find a new adventure for yourself. By the way, audience, I will tell you that since the Kung Flu virus took us by storm, this is a very good time, kind of like a seller's market, if you will, for homes. This is a very good time to leave and find something new. They're paying very competitive wages, and people are desperate for new help. So just keep that in mind that it's not like it used to be where you really did have to hang on by your fingertips. Personal nuggets, uh, there is a story. Now, there, we've made a lot of references to Resident Evil in this episode. Resident Evil's been around a long time. Wham Bam and I grew up on the video game. Now, I played it on the PlayStation because I'm a PlayStationer, and he played it on Xbox because we're just different in that way. <laughs> but we can still be compadres. That's it's right. okay. That's right. Our platform does not define us as people. By the way, if you did play on PlayStation for a long time, it was free to play online. Xboxers <laughs> had to get a subscription. <laughs> but anyways, Resident Evil's awesome. We love it. It just so happens that when we were getting to know each other back in Austin... I told him the story about the liquor. The liquor. So what I'm saying is, duh, with the D A, liquor, like a liquor, like you lick envelopes. When I was working at Starbucks, this guy would come in like every night for like a year straight, and he was Romanian or he was some such thing. I don't know, maybe Eastern European, but he had a thick accent, and I didn't know what he was saying half the time. So he would just point up at the menu, and I would get that man what he wanted, and what he wanted was a cold, refreshing coffee frappuccino with whipped cream on top. And I liked the guy. He was nice enough and he paid and everything. But he would do this weird thing where when I gave him his beverage, the first thing he'd do is he'd, he'd, he'd swirl the straw around in the top little dome lid of the Starbucks drink. 
and he'd pull the straw out with whipped cream covering half of it, like like Swiss cheese on a French dip sandwich, and then he would just lick it off. He would just lick it from mid-straw all the way down, like he's satisfying it, and he would just start slurping up that whipped cream right in front of me. And he wasn't looking at me, it's just like he couldn't wait to take it to the car and do that. He had to do it right there. Finally, I worked up a little nickname for that man, and I started calling him Daliker. Because one day, he was doing the straw whipped cream suckage thing, and one of his buddies called out his name, and he said something like a grumble, like, Daliker! And I was like, what is going on? <laughs> so this man creeped me out, I had to deal with him for a year, but he would lick that whipped cream off in a strange sensation type of way. So we started calling him Daliker! Well, there is a terrifying villain in Resident Evil called the Licker, because it has a huge tongue and it uses it as a weapon to mow people down. So he was the Licker! So when I told Wham Bam Cam this story, man, he got a huge kick out of it. And we've been making fun of that man ever since. Oh the Licker! Licker! Alright, that's my nugget. There oh we go. Oh my gosh. Alright, my, my nugget will not be as uh, profound, uh, but as we're, we're keeping some of this around, your courage to move on, um, a lot of this is around our friendship that we've had for about what we decided we, we let the women do the math for us it was seven eight years something long, like time, that. long, long time long time longer than marriages <laughs> last. uh but some of my some of my early and, and fun memories um uh include uh we'll, and we'll discuss probably in future episodes our, our walking through neighborhoods uh which which was always fun but what i always liked personal time was uh, our trips to dave and busters uh which was i, I believe nationwide i'm not sure uh it's a video game slash eatery slash arcade uh, for a lot of folks, fun and eating to be had by all, but us us going there uh, with our significant others and just causing havoc uh, and just absolutely the the looks we would get from the 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 workers employees there from some of our own loud conversations uh, that are that are not relevant to this audience uh, in this this uh, atmosphere here. Gaming, destroying zombies together in House of the Dead uh, was was fun. Good good times. I love gaming. Love gaming with friends. I remember we would get in the Jurassic Park ride because oh, they had yes. that little courtesy drape yes. and we'd sit in there with our beverage that was on happy hour like oh, a mojito yeah. or something oh, yeah. and then we would add more liquor from our flask That's through, the, right. through, the, through the hidden courtesy <laughs> drape of a curtain to you know continue the party without having to pay for the privilege That's right. yes I remember that distinctly so thank you kindly and respectfully Mr. Wham Bam Cam for gracing our ears with your very white baritone consistent voice Sleep like a tot, who has enjoyed a rum-filled baby milk bottle, dear audience, and wham-bam, because I'm sure this has been exhausting for both of us. Because you see, when you're engaging in conversation with someone that can hold their own, and they're holding you accountable, it's exhausting, it's good, and it's fulfilling, but man, is it tiring. Not like when you work your 50, 60, 100-hour week at work, and you come home exhausted and irritated, but you didn't learn anything new. You didn't grow. I think Captain Morgan private stock, if I have a say, should be the rum-filled baby milk bottle's contents. Mm. And always remember... Dalika! Dalika! Audience, if you go to a coffee house of your choice and you get yourself a cold confection, don't lick the whipped cream off the straw unless you're trying to solicit attention from the person who made your drink. They call those baristas. Thank you, audience, for listening to a full-blown conversation. Thank you, Wham Bam Cam! Sometimes it takes two, two warm-blooded voices to help you, dear audience. Help you unwind that burdensome and dogged daily grind. But we slaughtered that session like an axe murderer with an axe to unwind his daily grinds. Boom! Listen soon, audience, for your next delicious dose. You know what, Wham Bam? Why don't you read the title of Chapter 20, the next episode? That's great. Chapter 20, White Collar, Black Belt, Managerial Math. Is your boss's angle right, obtuse, or acute? Falsetto and Wham Bam Cam. You can say that faster. Wham Bam Cam. Out. Out.